You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas. And joining us, as always, from MMAJunkie.com and USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Ben Folks. Ben, you're fresh back from the ABQ. You've been hobnobbing with the mixed martial arts elite. That's right. Down there in Albuquerque. Uh, do you have any stories or anecdotes that are fit for consumption to begin the Co-Main Event podcast, or are you just saving them for hashtag lifestyle piece? Well, I am saving my my good stuff for hashtag lifestyle piece. Well, we know you don't use your good stuff on this show, so no. that's no surprise. <laughs> that's, I mean, I think that that should be obvious to anybody who has actually listened to the show. Um, but, you know, I will say uh, a, a good experience to go down there um, and watch those guys, get to watch those guys train and kind of see how they work. One thing that struck me uh, that kind of seems like a huge advantage when you have Greg Jackson's stable of fighters is there's a moment like during jiu-jitsu practice where, you know, Greg Jackson shows a couple different escapes from the body triangle and then Tim Kennedy shows one. And it's not every gym in America where one of the dudes can show a technique and be like, I was thinking about this one after uh, I had my first UFC fight against Hodger Gracie and he got my back and this is how I got out of it. That seems like, uh, you know, and that's just a run-of-the-mill kind of thing that happens down there. Right. Yeah, I know that seems like a huge advantage. Like, when you're down at Greg Jackson's, I assume, like, the guys that you don't know on site are, you know, they turn out to be, like, Adlan Amagov and stuff like that, like, which would terrify you if you went there as an actual gym member, but as a guy who just gets to stand on the side and observe, pretty awesome. You know, actually, uh, it's funny you mentioned Adlan Amagov because he was not there, um, and even though he's not there right now, and it's unclear if he's even going to continue fighting in professional MMA. Um, Whoa, breaking news. That's not breaking news. Dun, 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 dun. It was rumored a while that he stepped away for religious reasons, that his manager said, no, it wasn't religious reasons. Um, I don't know exactly what the, the reasons were. But people talk about Adlan Amagov like, holy shit. A, he's really good, and we're kind of sorry to lose him. But B, also kind of glad we don't have to spar him anymore because he is brutal. I mean, people talk about that dude like like professional fighters talk about that dude like they are legitimately frightened of him. So he's the one that got away. I then. guess so. Who knows? He might come back. That's sad. That's 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 sad news. I didn't mean to bum you out. Well, we knew you were going to do it at some point. Uh, but three rounds, as usual, this week for the co-main event podcast. In round number one, MMA's long national nightmare is finally over. But it's possible Vitor Belfort's nightmare is only just beginning. And in round number two, just a couple of guys who are both professional wrestlers and MMA fighters engaging in what appears to be a fairly scripted shoving match on national television. And no, we're not talking about Chael Sonnen and Vanderlei Silva. And in round number three, we got them WMDs. A week after the end of the UFC Fight Pass free trial period, that digital service will host what looks like a pretty damn good fight card. Coincidence? All that, plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff, but right now, like we always do about this time, let's do some listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail comes to us from Will T, and I kind of wish you could see it, because he writes, Nate Diaz says he wants out of the UFC, dot, dot, question mark, 
discuss this shit. Yeah. Now, See, that's the it's, that's the little extra twist that got him on listener mail, I think. Right. The attention to detail. Yeah. That's right. So, the yeah, nuanced perspective. For anybody who was paying attention, obviously Nate Diaz last week uh, appeared to request a release from the UFC via Twitter. Uh, and ended this the statement slash question by writing dot dot question mark, which put uh, his entire uh, uh, effort in like up in the air. We had no idea what he meant or right. what he wanted or what he was even trying to imply. Did he think that that was an emoticon? That that he he just like it was a, one of those little middle fingers, yeah. maybe. <laughs> but never they just turn out to be a little square on yeah. the actual Twitter. Or you know, uh, did he even do it on purpose? Because that seems like a, it's so funny how people have taken to being like, but what was the punctuation at the end? What was that supposed to mean? Uh, like he's he's just got us on a string here, man. <laughs> he is the puppet master. He is. Nate Diaz is the puppet master. Well, I mean, look, I think uh, uh, Tommy Toehold probably made fun of this in this week's uh, Tommy Toehold uh, episode, but like, kind of seems like Gilbert Melendez got his, his matching rights and uh, Nate Diaz figured, oh, fuck, man, I'm going to get my matching rights, right? Or am I reading too much into the dot dot question mark? Well, it, se- it does seem like the timing of this makes you think that he had to look at Gilbert Melendez's uh, whole negotiation strategy and think, well, maybe the thing to do here is to see if I can just on Twitter start an impromptu bidding war for my services. Maybe, you know, overestimating uh, his negotiating power here. Is that possible? Well, yeah, and also maybe bad timing because of the whole TRT Vitor Belfort uh, storm that's been going on. Because maybe on a slower news week, we would have had more time to make a bigger deal out of this Nate Diaz thing. As it stands now, like he did the original tweet, and you got your, uh, you know, your 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 first run briefs out of it, like your short stories on all of the MMA websites where people were like, "Oh, looks like Nate Diaz asked for his release on Twitter." And after that, nothing, zero. We haven't heard a thing about it. So it seems to me like. Uh, maybe if he had waited for for a time when there was a lot less going on, like maybe would the story would have had a little bit more legs. As it stands now, it kind of seems like it's probably just going to pass into the night uh, without any further action whatsoever. Well, also, I would like it noted that uh, when MMA Junkie reached out for comment to to Diaz's manager Mike Kogan, uh, his response was "Fuck you, I have no comment." That's what he said. So. I don't know. I mean, if you if you're if you're on the Diaz camp and you're wanting to make a bigger deal out of this to kind of you know get this some legs, that probably wouldn't be the way to go about it. And then I suppose there's another alternative, and that's that Nate Diaz burned a few down one day <laughs> in the house. <laughs> Whatever uh, do you mean? Over in Stockton with the uh, knife throwing target in the front room, uh, and started started tweeting stuff maybe without a plan, maybe without really thinking. Thinking down the road. Or maybe that's what he wants us to think. I suppose that's also possible. That's right. Although when the Diaz camp and Mike Hogan himself refuses to comment about something, that kind of lends you to believe that maybe they just want this to kind of go away. Because normally those dudes will comment on absolutely everything. See, that's the puppet master's just reeling you in, man. See, you, you're playing checkers. He's playing chess, motherfucker. <laughs> yes, that's true. I guess that's true. Second question this week comes to us from John Joe Carter. I believe it's back-to-back weeks for him which is an impressive feat. Way to go, John Joe. In listener mail. Uh, Joe Rogan on Friday announced that there was some, quote, secret stuff coming up in terms of an announcement for Ronda Rousey's next fight. How do you respond to this equivalent of a kid coming up to you at school and taunting, I know something that you don't know? It's not as if people miss the announcement because they didn't hear Rogan teasing it. Why, why make noise for the sake of it? 
Well, I mean, I think that last line kind of maybe says it all yeah. right here. Well, first of all, I would like to uh, to tell everybody that the CME podcast has some really big, exciting, secret stuff coming up for episode 100, which we're only a few away. I wish I could tell you what it is. Oh, man. We just can't. can't tell oh, you. it's so secret and yeah. awesome, though. It's just so secret, but also even more awesome. That it, well, no, it's, it's awesome and secret in equal measure. Um, so you guys will just have to think about that for a few weeks uh, and just let it build. Just let it build for you. In the meantime, yeah, about this. Because it does seem like this has been a strategy employed by the UFC, various UFC figureheads at times, where, oh man, hey, we got some big stuff. Big stuff coming up. Which also, as often as not, seems to backfire because then it's like, of course we're going to start just speculating wildly about what that big stuff might be. And chances are, the longer you give us to speculate and bounce rumors off each other and drive each other crazy with it, the the more underwhelming the actual announcement usually is. Am I, am I wrong about that? No, I think I think you're right about that. I mean, and clearly the way that Joe Rogan phrased so hey, for anybody that doesn't know, Joe Rogan goes on this uh radio show, which K-Rock, K-Rock which appeared to be not an MMA themed radio show, no. but where they were asking him him just like the the most bare bones mainstream radio guy questions about uh MMA, you know, and the, obviously those questions are so Ronda Rousey, she's pretty tough, eh? Uh <laughs> man, your radio guy voice is not bad. Well, thanks. Yeah, no, I'm I'm thinking about going into broadcasting. Uh you know, they ask him these questions and so he comes out with this thing about how there's some crazy news coming down the pike about Ronda Rousey and her next opponent. And obviously that leads everyone else to to jump to the conclusion that he's either talking about Cyborg Santos or Holly Holm or or Gina Carano or somebody, you know, of that ilk. Uh when you know, I think you got a 50-50 chance here that uh, he's not really probably talking about anything at all. I mean, maybe there is some big super double secret announcement coming about Ronda Rousey. Or, like, maybe Joe Rogan just didn't see the latest interviews where Dana White makes fun of Cyborg Santos's head. You know, maybe he just doesn't know exactly <laughs> what's going on. That could be. I, I do agree, though. And, and Joe Rogan's certainly not the only person to do this. Some people in the MMA media are known for doing it. This thing where, oh, God, if I could tell you. Oh, trust me. You know, if you can say it, say it. If you can't say it, then don't say anything. You know? That just... Uh, I don't get that. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I know. It's just, I mean, I kind of refuse to speculate about it at, at this point because clearly the smart thing for the UFC to do, in fact, would be to sign Cyborg Santos and have her come in and fight Ronda Rousey as soon as they could possibly make it happen because they would make a shitload of money on that fight and it almost wouldn't matter who won because you would still have a terrifying women's 135-pound champion. If Cyborg Santos won, you could have her fight Ronda Rousey again and if Ronda Rousey won, you could you know, put her face on a billboard, goddammit, as the most terrifying woman on the, on the planet Earth. Uh, but I'm like not you, sure that this thing of, of, of Joe Rogan going on an unrelated radio show and, and dropping hints means that anything at all is going to happen. I like how you think that putting her face on the billboard is like the height of like that's that's how you know you've just made it is if you've been put on a billboard. Well, let me ask you this. You ever had your face on a billboard? Maybe I have. I have not. And I don't think you have either. Uh, well, I think the fact that you would sit there and try to lie about it only proves my point. All I'm saying is I can't say with certainty that I haven't had my face on a billboard. For all I know, is a billboard of me in, like, Wichita right now. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I have no way of knowing. Where's this man? He's missed two years of child support payments. <laughs> Call this 800 number for the free tip line. 
The next question this week comes to us from Marcus Stober. He writes, we often poke fun at the UFC's, quote, state-run television, and it is certainly something that deserves scrutiny. But if UFC Tonight didn't exist, would there be much difference if Dana White at all approached Bleacher Report or MMA Junkie to release news? I'm not intending to cry hypocrisy, but I'm generally interested or I'm gen, gen, generally interested in what an independent media outlet would do or does not do differently than Fox Sports. Is there a comparison to the NFL Network's programmings and that done by ESPN? Uh, there is a comparison, I think, between the stuff that happens on Fox Sports and NFL Network or MLB Network or anything well, the like Network. that. NHL Network. NHL Network. Big fan of that. Uh, yeah, it just showed up, I think, on my channel guide the other day. I get yeah. that now. So I'm planning on getting really into hockey. Yeah. Uh, the question, I think, where Marcus Stober asks what would be different if Dana White approached uh, Bleacher Reporter MMA Junkie to release news is that he wouldn't be being interviewed on national television by somebody who works for him. Right. Well, and also, it would be different in that, like, if, like, say, he, he went to a Bleacher Report and was like, hey, I have this thing for you guys, and Bleacher Report also happened to be the only home, like, broadcast home for the UFC. Which would be a lucrative deal for us, yeah, by the way. Yes, you might even see a raise out of something like that. Doubt it. I think you also have to ask, like, is there a chance that UFC Tonight will ever report anything that the UFC would, would not like reported? Or is there a chance that they would even ask Dana White a question that he didn't like? Yeah, uh, that, those are fair questions to ask, and I think that that's the kind of stuff that where there is a difference. I mean, I, and I think you can you can point out a lot of things about like, especially with UFC and, and MMA. There's a lot of like weird media relationship stuff that that goes on that uh, like, and everybody always thinks that it's credentials. You know, everybody thinks, oh, these guys don't want to speak up. They're scared to lose my their credentials. I'm like, man, fuck, take my credential. You don't need to be at events anymore to, to even do your job in this sport. I mean, so you, I feel like sometimes you can get good stuff there and it's good for like building relationships and stuff, but it's not like if they yank your credential, you're fucking done. Like you can't ever write about, uh, the UFC anymore. Like that is not like the fear. I think that, that people think it is, or that it, maybe it was uh, a few years ago. Uh, but I do think like there, you can, you can rightly point out like some of these problems, uh, in, in the media, but I do think when you get to the stuff like where the UFC has a TV show on the channel, where it also is the only channel where that airs UFC fights and a bunch of UFC fighters work for it. And then, you know, they're doing this interview with like basically their boss who could call Fox sports tomorrow and tell him fire this dude. If he says something I don't like and they would do it unquestioning. I mean, that's, that's what lets you know that sure you can expect some entertainment and some, some news filtered through the UFC, but just like with that Vitor Belfort situation, which I'm sure we'll get into here. Uh, it tells you that you are getting the UFC's take on it. Right. Yeah. And there are some journalists that work for Fox Sports and cover the UFC that I admire and I think are good guys. You know, I like Mike Chiapetta and Ariel Helwani both do uh, good jobs uh, covering the sport and they both work over there at at Fox these days. And, and you know, sometimes the coverage that Fox does is, is uh, especially on the Internet, kind of surprisingly critical, I've found at times. And I on think, the Internet. Yes. And you got to give them credit for that. But then there are other times on UFC tonight where it seems like it is uh, pretty obviously a vehicle for the UFC to get get its side of the story out. And I think you saw that a couple weeks ago with the Gilbert Melendez and Alistair Overeem stuff, where it just seemed like they were using their own TV show to specifically send a message to the fighters that they were having a hard time negotiating with at that point. Yeah, and if you're a promoter, that's, I'm sure, a, a really welcome, powerful tool that you have at your disposal. 
Having your own TV show? Yes. yes. I would say that that's probably a positive. Uh, the last question this week comes to us from Morgan DeVoe. He writes, I was inspired by the previous topic raised about closet MMA fans. He's talking about last week when we had John uh, Farrar send us some of his music and said that he is a composer overseas who likes MMA but doesn't want to tell any of his, like, uh, Highly trained classical music buddies yeah. that he'd be he likes ostracized because he thinks he'd be ostracized. Just so, outcast now Morgan DeVoe writes, "I'm a teacher and also a closet MMA fan. I feel that if I freely discuss MMA at my workplace or with my colleagues, I will be judged both personally and professionally. Do you think that many fans can only enjoy MMA from the closet? What does this mean with regards to how society regards MMA? And will I always be?" And he capitalizes this, I think, in an obvious R. Kelly reference, "trapped in the closet." I appreciate the reference. I do too. Yeah, uh, this is something I, I feel like. This has kind of changed a little bit in recent years. I feel like it used to be more like the the fear of bringing out like uh, in mixed company the fact that you are an MMA fan was more that like either people would just have no idea what the hell it was or they would have such an antiquated notion of what it was that uh, the dude at the party would want you to tell you how awesome Tank Abbott was. Right, I've had that conversation. Right. I'm sure you have. Except I'm usually the dude talking about Tank Abbott. Yeah, with my shirt off in the kitchen. I feel like two forties duct taped to each hand. <laughs> I feel like now the fear is different. The fear is, is less that they won't know what you're talking about, and more that. They will know what you're talking about, but will have a negative association of you based on their views of other MMA fans. Maybe like they've been, they they were accidentally at a Buffalo Wild Wings one night when there was a UFC pay per view on, and saw people acting like idiots, and then they're gonna think like, oh, that's what you must be into. I feel like it's more like that now. Yeah, and I think that that's true, and I, I agree with your point, and I could only use as evidence that uh, one of my mothers-in-law still refers to mixed martial arts as, quote-unquote, extreme wrestling, no matter how much I try to tell her differently. That's actually not bad. No, it's like a, you could start an you know, EWC, Extreme Wrestling Championship, and probably get it on Access TV in a week or two. Right. I'd uh, watch that. But I think, you know, I would I would raise two points with that. Number one, fuck those people. And number two... Wait, which people? The, the people, people who think the that, people or the that people would look, Buffalo Wild Wings? Both of them. Okay. Both of those groups of people. Fuck both of them. Uh, the people that would think less of you because of, you know, you watch a certain sport on television probably aren't worth being friends with to begin with. And, you know, secondly, if you think that they are worth being friends with, like, take the time to try to explain it to them is what I would say. And, and do it as many of the rest of us have done and with our other reasonably intelligent friends. And that, I think, is that you have to tell them straight out, look, there's a lot of ridiculous, stupid shit that goes on in this sport. And thank God that there is, because otherwise we probably wouldn't be able to have this podcast. But <laughs> uh, under underneath that, like, there's also a lot of pretty, like, complicated and, dare I say, beautiful stuff that goes on when when two people who are both really, really highly trained and adept at what they do get in there and have a fight with the kind of rules that we have, you know, in mixed martial arts right now. It's it's certainly more t technical and strategic than, uh, you know, a lot of other combat sports out there. And I think uh, it, for a, a sports fan, like I, it, it's 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 uh I think it's addictive and it's something that I think a lot of people don't think that they're going to like until they get into it and, and watch a little bit of it and and see the strategery, uh, as our former president would have said, that 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 goes into the fights. And I think a lot of people can gain an appreciation of it.
You that know, said, there's a lot of people that are just never going to like it. Yeah. Well, and I think that the the thing that I know we've all had this experience, we've talked about it before on the podcast, is where you have some friends and they don't really know about it. And you're like, oh, well, you should watch it. Like, there's a UFC pay-per-view on tonight. And I'm having it in my house. You should come over and watch it. I remember the last time I tried to do that with a, a sizable group of people was when uh, Anderson Silva defended his title against Talos Latis. And they never came back. And I don't blame them. Yeah, well, I mean, more power to them, I guess. And, you know, people come to this sport uh, with, with their preconceived biases and they expect different things. And I, I, I've often found, and maybe this plays a little bit into what you're saying, that people that come to the sport expecting a terrible bloodbath often leave really disappointed because – while that does happen sometimes, it doesn't always. And, and dare I say, like, it, it, it is more infrequent than, than frequent. That didn't come out right, but you know what I'm saying. Yes, I do know what you're saying. Hopefully everyone just knows what you're saying. <laughs> we can just end this <laughs> ah, You right guys here. know what I'm saying. That's one of, the, one of the best things about having a podcast. You guys, you guys get what I'm trying to say. But then I also feel like, and the last thing we'll say before we move on, but that whole thing about being trapped in the closet as an MMA fan, I think that is still so tied up with the identity of MMA fan. Like how, you know, you used to just have to follow it on the internet, on these certain websites and on, uh, you know, forums and stuff like that. That's one of those things, though, where like, yeah, because we do still feel like, ah, we're not as good as the other sports and they all look down on us and we're these kind of like outcasts of society, which is fine. I mean, it is it is fucking cage fighting. So maybe it'll always be that way. But that is also one of the things that feels cool about it. Then when you mention it uh, at a party or something and somebody's like, oh, oh, okay, you see that like we are kindred spirits. We both like this thing. We instantly kind of like each other. In fact, I think that was the first thing you and I ever talked about was yep, we both realized and we were like, oh, I don't expect to like any of these nerds in grad school. And then uh, we were at a party and started talking about MMA and it was like, okay, well, this guy must be okay. He, he can't be a total asshole. Right. We both had our shirts off and we both had 40s duct taped to both of our hands. <laughs> you remember it slightly differently than I do. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. Uh, if you have a question, a comment, or a concern to air to the podcast in future weeks, you already know to get a, how to get a hold of us. You can go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, the Nevada State Athletic Commission pulled a surprise move last Thursday during its regular meeting, and it voted unanimously to ban testosterone replacement therapy. Uh, this came just a couple of days after ESPN Outside the Lines published what amounted to the mainstream media's most comprehensive look at TRT and, at least in my opinion, kind of pounded the final nail in the coffin for TRT in MMA. Uh, it also caused a lot of people to email our show and ask us, what we're going to talk about from now on. Uh, so before we get fully into the the you know far-reaching implications of this round, let's just for a moment uh, revel in the glory. Uh, 
How awesome was this? Awesome. It was very awesome. It was totally, and, and so unexpected. I thought it was going to take a lot longer, like, and I thought it would be a, a more gradual process of these people coming around to the idea that, that, yeah, you can't do this. But no, instead it was just like, boom, we're done with it. Right. Fuck all you guys. Yes. And in, 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 a, in kind of a way, it, that kind of underscored how janky things can be at times at the state athletic commission level because, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, uh, a government body that all of a sudden gets to be like, ah, man, you know what? Let's ban this. Yeah. Which is probably how the decision to allow it went, I would assume. <laughs> well, you know what? It also made me think, too, that, you know, as much as people and, and we were right there with those people got down on Vitor Belfort, like, you know, and he also, if you're if you're Chael Sonnen right now, you have to think like Vitor fucked it up for everybody. <laughs> like we were fine. We were we we're going me and Dan Henderson. We were going along just fine. And then Vitor shows up with his rippling muscles and his crazy talk and his spinning head kicks. And now it's not cool anymore. Now everybody out of the pool, you know, like but and imagine how guys that who legitimately needed TRT must have felt. Yeah, all those guys. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's one thing, yeah, we, he became, you know, the poster boy of it and this, this the most highly criticized face of TRT. Um, and so now he's the one who seems to be, like, suffering the, the most dire immediate consequences, loses his title shot, basically, you know, banished back back home for a little while until he can get his levels right and his, his hormones together. Uh, but it's also one of these things where, yeah, they were fine with it and right up until they weren't. And then he's left holding the bag, you know, like it wasn't like it was just Vitor's fault. Like he had a lot of enablers along the way, like from the state athletic, well, not the state athletic commissions because they had not given him an exemption, but the commission in Brazil, the UFC for letting him stay in Brazil for a while. Uh, like these doctors are like, yeah, man, oh, you're so exhausted. You must need some TRT, all these people. And then suddenly boom, the ax comes down and then where are your friends? Then it's just you, you know, and it, you absorb all the blame for it. It wasn't all him. No, yeah, I uh, I, I agree with you, and I also think that uh, um, you know the 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 well. Let me say first of all that it was weird. Uh, it was a weird feeling when they voted unanimously to ban TRT because it was so. It felt so good. Like I felt uh, honestly giddy that it happened, and that that I was watching on the internet as it happened, and that was weird to me because you know so often in this sport the best stuff that happens. Uh, it happens inside the cage and it's from a pure sport standpoint. And a lot of the stuff that we criticize that we're negative about, especially on this show happens more of at the administrative and the, like the regulatory level. And so, so to see this athletic commission kind of make this sweeping gesture to do this thing that we have been waiting for, for a couple of years felt awesome. And I just want to yes. put that out there. Uh, but like because you're on I'm the right side to, of it. Yeah, a good thing happened. Right, and it doesn't happen every day. Yeah. in this sport, uh, and so that was awesome. I, I will say, uh, it. I feel like the banning of TRT in Nevada and elsewhere, it, it now brings up, I think, the need for more comprehensive drug testing across the board. Uh, and at the end of the day, that either means still that the UFC is either going to have to do it, or a lot of these state athletic commissions are going to need more money. Uh, but. You know, aside from that, now you also, I think, have an, an interesting dichotomy now between Nevada and New Jersey because Nevada has banned TRT. New Jersey has come out and said it won't uh, ban it, but it is going to continue to uh, be a lot more conservative with how it, it uh, doles out uh, therapeutic use exemptions, at least in its own opinion, which I think creates kind of an interesting uh, 
situation for fighters who say that they need TRT now because the UFC is going to ban TRT at events where it acts as its own uh, uh, oversight body. But if you're a guy like Vitor Belfort and you think that you really need TRT, maybe give New Jersey a run for its money. Well, see, that's the thing. Like, That's why it seems like that's going to be an untenable situation for New Jersey because now anytime the UFC goes to New Jersey, everybody's going to be scrutinizing that card and saying, are there any possible TRT candidates on there and were they placed there specifically because here's a place where they can go right. and use and I, it. I say that tongue firmly planted in cheek because I also believe there's no way New Jersey ever grants somebody like Vitor Belfort a, a TRT exemption. Well, it feels like they can't, right? I mean, and this also, it seems like... Uh, you know, the one commission that has that power to just say, we changed our rules and have it almost immediately like the dominoes fall in other places is Nevada. So I think it is a really good thing that they are the ones to, to come out here um, and vote unanimously to ban it because it seems like that's a pretty strong statement. I mean, how do you then, if you're some other state, be like, no, we still think it's cool. I mean, they're the fight capital of the world, right? Like, and they, you know, not even any dissenters in that decision all said, let's get rid of it. So it feels like that that pendulum has finally swung and it's only a matter of time before, it, you know, but like you said, it, it does then just bring our focus right back to like, OK, well, if you were still using synthetic testosterone and now you just weren't asking permission, so nobody knew about it, nobody knew to test you anymore. Uh, how would we know? How would we catch you? Right. And that's still a valid point. I I think that uh, at least now we can say that MMA, uh, the MMA power structure, the MMA industry is no longer actively aiding and abetting synthetic testosterone users. Which is kind of sad that that's such a huge victory. Right. Now, if you're using it, you're just cheating. Yeah. Whereas before you could kind of like go through the process and get a doctor's note. And the process would vary from state to state and country to country. And uh, you could get this this. uh, treatment okayed. Now you can't really do that anymore, which I think is a positive step in the you know in, in the right direction. Uh, and I feel like that should be celebrated, even though now it brings up this entire other question of enhanced drug testing and the fact that we need to do a lot better job comprehensively testing these guys for all of the things that they're doing that they are currently successfully dodging the tests for. Yeah, it does, though. That was one of the first things I I thought when, uh, because I was in Albuquerque and it was kind of away from the internet and everything, and you were texting me to let me know that this was going on. I was pretty surprised. But it it makes you wonder, like, imagine yourself, uh, you know, you're a closet MMA fan at work uh, at your law firm or whatever, wherever you'd have to be a closet MMA fan. And, you know, you're really stoked after you see this news that, that TRT has been banned and one of your coworkers asks you about it. And when trying to explain, you'd be like, oh, well, it's a great victory for the sport because now if you want to use steroids, you have to cheat. Right. Like that, uh, that kind of, oh, that's kind of a downer to think about it. But also, yeah, uh, it does, I think, though, it shouldn't just be a thing where we dance up and down and say, yeah, 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 you know, now everything's fine, everything's cool. It does just return our focus to uh, the drug testing in general, which is still woefully inadequate. Right. Well, let's talk a little Vitor Belfort. Obviously, almost immediately he gets uh, either pulled out or opted out of UFC 173 and replaced by Lyoto Machida, a decision that I feel like raises an unbelievable number of questions, many of which at this time cannot be adequately answered. Uh, the official story is that he needs 90 days to transition off TRT, and then I guess uh, it's back to business as usual, according to him and his fight camp, um, which... Uh, just 
leads me to ask a lot of questions. For starters, let's just deal with this. We've known for more than a month that Vitor Belfort was probably not going to get granted a therapeutic use exemption in Nevada, above and beyond what they decided to do about banning or not banning testosterone replacement right. therapy. Seemed unlikely. How is it that there was no contingency plan in place short of completely pulling him out of this fight when it seems like both he, his fight camp, and his promoter have had so much time to get ready for this? Well, I mean... I don't expect you to have the answer. I'm I'm just asking rhetorically. Well, it seems like, you know, having Machida step in there from the UFC's perspective is not a horrible contingency plan. You know, that works for them. The thing that is so bizarre about it to me is that, okay, so how did the process happen where you're saying, okay, well, Vitor needs some time to, to get his body right, uh, to get off the TRT. Uh, by the way, today I, I tweeted a link to it, but Fightland has a thing from a endocrinologist kind of explaining what that process is going to be like to get off TRT doesn't sound like it's just going to be like, Hey, rest up buddy. Like, you know, sit on the couch and, and drink some grapefruit juice and you'll be back. Like, it sounds like it's going to be difficult and difficult to the point where you can understand how do some dudes might be tempted to take a, a quicker, easier route. Uh, even if it meant taking different performance enhancing drugs. But what I don't understand is then, you know, we had this statement from the attributed to Vitor Belfort, uh, read on Fox sports, uh, basically just him saying like, oh, you know, because of the timeline and respect this, you know, and every, and then he's going to come out and be like, no, I never said any of that. They pulled me from it. I did not give up my title shot willingly. I'm going to fight the winner of these two guys. I mean, Jesus Christ, there's, how do you not have any better communication with that to understand, like, get the guy on board with the statement before you release a statement on his behalf? Right. And we still don't know, like, we have the UFC's word that they got that statement from Vitor Belfort's lawyer. We still don't know exactly how the communication went down between Vitor Belfort and said lawyer, because it's, you know, it sounds like they didn't talk to each other before all of that stuff happened. We've also got now this elephant in the room, so to speak, which is the random drug test that Vitor Belfort was administered on February 7th while he was in Las Vegas for the World MMA Awards. Uh, now, the results of that test were due back the same day that the Nevada State Athletic Commission voted to ban testosterone replacement therapy. And it seems at this point like we're never going to find out exactly what the results were because uh, in a in a bit of admin, administrative rigmarole, I guess you would say, uh, because a technical term. Vitor Belfort is not now applying for a license to fight in Nevada, the state cannot legally uh, turn over the results of the test. Uh, the UFC, we're led to believe, has the results, but is probably bound by the same legal stuff that they cannot re re uh, release the results of the test. The only person who could release the results of the random drug test that he took is Vitor Belfort and his lawyer. I assume the same guy who released the statement to Fox Sports is now saying that their official position is that the re results are, quote, not relevant. Mm hmm. How could it possibly be relevant, Chad? He's not fighting in Nevada. It's interesting that you would say that, Ben, because I feel like if Vitor Belfort passed a random drug <laughs> test on the same day that the Nevada State Athletic Commission voted to ban testosterone replacement therapy, those results are entirely relevant because uh, it would call into question the entire action of banning testosterone replacement therapy if the face of testosterone replacement therapy was found not to be cheating on the same day that testosterone replacement therapy was deemed to be cheating. It would also uh, seem to cast him in a more positive light if he could say, but wait, all you people who think I'm just a cheater, 
I passed this drug test. And also, wasn't Dana White just holding this up as evidence that like Vitor is on the up and up because he's a pincushion man? He's right. been tested so much, he's a goddamn pincushion. Right, and that, I think, is one of the more... But I guess he didn't say he passed, so... Well, see, that's one of the more troubling aspects of all of this, is if we're going to assume that Vitor Belfort failed this drug test, which, frankly, everyone in the world is going to assume, as long as his camp doesn't release the the uh, results and says that they're, quote, not relevant, we're all just going to assume the worst at that point. Uh, if we assume that he failed this drug test, then that calls into question all of the assurances that we had previously gotten from the UFC that they were, quote, testing the shit out of him. Does it not? Yeah, well, I mean, again, they did, they said they were testing the shit out of him. They didn't say he was passing the shit out of the tests, uh, which has always been one of my points that I keep bringing up whenever they say, hey, we're testing him. Don't worry, because it's you don't ever hear anything about it. Like, how do we know, like, what the results are when you're testing him? And what are you testing him for? Right. You know, like, we don't... Well, Dana White is on the record as saying Vitor Belfort is not abusing TRT. I would never in a million fucking years let that happen. Uh, that's a, a, a direct quote. You can find that in the story I wrote on Bleacher Report today <laughs> if you want to take a look at it. Uh, but, so he is saying, like, he's implying that Vitor Belfort passed the... The UFC's testing test. the shit out of him yes. part okay. of the equation. Well, it also, like, I think that this tells us something, like, if again, if we are to assume that Vitor Belfort failed this drug test, now think about the, the Nevada Commission's track record with these surprise tests when they know that a guy is probably going to be applying for a license to fight there in the coming months, and he's in Nevada for some unrelated thing, uh, such as Alistair Overeem was, to do a, a press thing for the UFC before... Uh, what was supposed to be his fight with Junior Dos Santos and then Vitor Belfort in Nevada for the MMA awards uh, in the months before what, what's expected to be his fight with Chris Weidman. They haven't done a ton of this where they are able to get some guy who makes the mistake of setting foot in their jurisdiction uh, months out from his, his bout. But it seems like the success rate of these tests in catching people, if again, if we're assuming that he failed this one, uh, would would suggest that, goddamn, what would happen if you had true random drug testing throughout MMA? Because it seems like these are the only times that ever really happens where somebody gets tested uh, where they they don't know months ahead of time to expect the test on right. this date. And we if, believe them to be two for two. <laughs> it's and, kinda, and frankly, three for three if you count uh, the jujitsu guy. Well, who's, that's, who's the guy that applied for the trt exemption in nevada and they turned him down and then showed up and, yes. and tested him and he was off the charts yeah i can't uh, i can't remember his name right now drysdale, Robert drysdale, drysdale. drysdale that's right uh well i mean i guess they're not actually two for two because they did they think they tested all the heavyweights who showed up to I remember it was a bunch of dudes it was they like all heavyweight okay, cars right, or something uh and i think that overing was the only one where there was an issue so but it does make you think, like, man, that proves how necessary that is, how much different that can be. Because if, if Vitor Belfort was getting away with it and everybody was under the impression that he wasn't abusing it, or who knows? I mean, he might have failed for other stuff than, than TRT. Uh, then when you finally are able to get these guys unaware, uh, you have a much higher success rate in catching people. Man, that, that just makes you think that that's the only testing that is worth a shit. Yes, it does. Uh, well, let's wrap up on this note. Um how does Vitor Belfort, let alone 
fighting for the middleweight title, which he still believes he's going to do. He still wants to fight the winner of Chris Weidman, Leota Machida. How does he ever set foot in the octagon again, frankly, while the results of this random drug test are being kept a secret by his camp? Uh, just because, you know, we know he tested positive for something in 2006. Clearly, the very, very early days of his UFC career back in the late 90s have always been under some pretty significant uh, PED scrutiny. Uh, now we've got TRT banned, and they won't tell us what happened with this drug drug test he seems like damaged goods to me i don't i don't see how we could ever like take him take his word ever again as mma fans am i being too harsh or does does he seem like kind of spoiled at this point you know it it does seem like that's probably gonna stick around with him for a while i think maybe you overestimate the the length of the memory of mma fans when it comes to stuff like this uh and maybe that's what he's hoping for is that you just wait a while and everybody the whole thing will blow over um, but yeah, I would think that you would need to do something really proactive if you are going to have him come back and fight for the middleweight title uh, on the chance that he wins it. Like you've got to convince people that like he's clean and like not even just the, the absence of a failure, but like really go out of your way to prove that he's clean. You would hope that that would be something that he would see the importance of if he's going to fight for the title. As it is, he seems to just see this stuff more as like if not an annoyance, like almost like just this unfair burden that's being placed on him. Like it doesn't seem like he sees this way the same stuff that we do. Well, which is probably true of almost everything. Right. Uh, all right, well, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, uh, this week, my Are You Fucking Kidding Me? goes out to the Monster Energy Drink Company, which announced just prior to the weekend's uh, Bellator event that it is now an official sponsor of Rampage Jackson. Huh. Are you fucking kidding me, dude? <laughs> Do you not remember when he got in the high-speed chase with the police with him in the monster truck with his goddamn picture on the side of it and got into a bunch of crazy wrecks and then after it was done said that he blamed it all on energy drinks? Are you fucking kidding me? Are you kidding me? See, he didn't know that not eating or sleeping and subsisting only on energy drinks could have such a, a an effect on your mental state. He, who could have known that? Almost the, the the maker, the purveyor of almost any other product would be a better to sponsor Rampage Jackson. And also, if you're a Monster Energy Drink and you don't sponsor Hennen Barrow, well, you you just you drop the, the ball. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Chad, this week, my are you fucking kidding me? Goes out really to anyone who is uh, passing along the rumor that Gina Carano is the next big opponent for Ronda Rousey, and that's a super secret, awesome stuff that. Joe Rogan was referring to. And also, I'm going to extend that, are you fucking kidding me, preemptively to the UFC before they even think about it, in case they are even thinking about it. Are you fucking kidding me? Gina Carano has not fought since August of 2009 when she got her face beat in by Cyborg, who you would have us believe uh, is not uh, somebody you're considering for a fight with Ronda Rousey at this time. Uh, By the way... She had problems making the higher weight class back then. And now she's been off in Hollywood, and who knows, maybe they, I'm sure they got some pretty good diets over there in Hollywood. I'm sure they they know how to slim you down. But just the idea that she would come back five years later after just making movies, not fighting, not doing anything, and that that would be something that fans would actually talk about as if they were interested in seeing, are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Fuck out of here with that. Well, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two.
Well, Chad, big weekend for Bellator as cruiserweight champion, uncrowned cruiserweight champion, uh, Rampage Jackson. The people's cruiserweight champion. Yeah. Barely squeaked in as a light heavyweight at 206 pounds. Uh, won his opening round bout. Uh, King Mo won his opening round bout. Of course, that's obviously how Bellator had hoped that this would go, so those two can fight. Then we get him in the cage, and wouldn't you know it, we get ourselves a little scuffle out of it. Only later we hear that maybe the commission there was expecting something like this to happen. Maybe they'd been told about the possibility of a scuffle. And we do, after all, have two dudes with some pro wrestling experience getting in there. What does this do for you? Uh, the scuffle doesn't do anything except prove to me once again that uh, Rampage Jackson, who has always been uh, reasonably good but probably a little bit overrated MMA fighter, uh, is still best at the promotional aspect of the game. Like he's, you know, that's when he's at his best, honestly, is after he knocks out uh, uh, an overmatched uh, a guy who, frankly, made the cruiserweight boxing limit. Before their fight, Christian Mpumbo, Mpumbo, nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, he weighed in at I think one ninety nine point five, something like that. Uh, so he came in under two hundred. Uh, knock that guy out, and then jump on the mic and and start uh, yelling about how you're back and everybody's gonna get knocked out and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Getting a shoving match with King Mo. That's the best part of Rampage Jackson's game at this point. Uh, I don't know that that necessarily convinces me that his heart is still in the all the other parts of it, the fighting and the training and the coming in at 205. Uh, all that, I think, is still sort of uh, in doubt. Maybe the big question is whether or not a Rampage Jackson who's only giving 75 to 80 percent can still dominate Bellator. Yeah, and uh, perhaps a fair question there. And also, uh, I mean, it seems like Bellator has has made it so that stuff like this is is how they think that they're going to really get some fan attention, right? Like, yeah, and that's too bad. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, in a way, I feel like it's too bad, especially, like, it's tough to tell the extent to which this was, if not staged, then at least anticipated um, or, you know, well, not... King Mo was able to get in the cage. Not, so. not discouraged. But, I mean, again, like, it's something like... Uh, you know, the UFC has done that at times where yeah, we'll get the next guy in the cage and they'll talk to each other and they'll say some stuff that, you know, they don't have the scuffles and stuff break out really, but they'll, you know, everybody likes that, that angle of promotion. Right. Hey, let's set up the next one, right? Well, at the, hell, end the, the UFC did it this week with, uh, Chael Sonnen and Vanderlei Silva and their little teaser trailer that we had right. come out for their tough Brazil season, which uh, had a lot of people saying that it seemed like it was staged. Uh, you know, it just seems like, uh, maybe the UFC is Teflon a little bit when it comes to stuff like that. And Bellator, uh, maybe incorrectly assumes that it's going to get the same benefit of the doubt because it seems like the treatment is different. Like when we think that, that Chael and Vanderlei is scripted, we just kind of like, Oh man, you know, whatever you crazy guys trying to get us to believe that's real. And then Bellator does it with Rampage and King Mo and, and like everyone takes him to task for it. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe some of it is the difference between, like, there's a teaser clip out there for this reality show on Fight Pass, which I know that you're very excited about, uh, and the difference of having, you know, having it be on your your actual fight show, uh, your weekly show, like, where the dudes are in the cage and everything. I mean, maybe that's part of it. But I also feel like, I wonder if we people would have this same reaction to it if it were not for this kind of close, cozy relationship between Bellator and a pro wrestling organization right. where some guys have gone back and forth. Those two guys have gone back and forth. Right. Well, and they're not the only ones. But yeah, uh, you know, it does make you wonder, like, 
isn't this what people said? Like, isn't this what people were worried about at first when it was a thing where, hey, you know, these these fighters are going to also get to do some pro wrestling and then they're going to come back and be fighters, though? Isn't this like and it seemed at the time like people were being kind of unreasonable to be like, oh, they're going to totally ruin it, man. Like, oh, come on. Like, we won't be able to tell what's real and what's fake. And then you have stuff like this and nobody's sure how to feel about it. Yeah, and I'm not sure how to feel about it either, so I, I accept that as a valid point. Um, I'm not gonna kill Bellator for it though. I mean, I think that there's always been a, uh, uh, an aspect of the fight promotion business that has been, for lack of a better term, staged. Uh, clearly Chael Sonnen, uh, made a lot of money and became a, a, a highly regarded MMA, uh, fighter in the UFC kind of during the latter days of, of his, his career, almost entirely based on this kind of thing, like basically running a professional wrestling style shtick where he does like out and out Jack lines straight from superstar Billy Graham from the seventies. Uh, and, and everyone seemed to be fine with that. Um, there does seem to be a contrivance above and beyond that to putting on a, a possibly staged confrontation between two guys inside the cage. And it's frankly the kind of thing that we worried about when Tito Ortiz hit Quentin Rampage Jackson in the back of the head with a hammer, a ball peen a fucking ball, hammer, a ball peen hammer on, uh, on TNA wrestling. So it's the kind of thing that I feel like I would be more comfortable if Bellator steered away from that. But I also don't think that I'm, uh, it doesn't undercut my already limited enthusiasm for seeing Rampage <laughs> Jackson fight King Mo. Well, see, that's what I was going to say though is that i actually do want to see that fight i, I think that that's an interesting fight well and it's I, one of the more interesting fights bellator can make for sure well and i don't see that's the thing is i don't think you would need to to do any kind of like you could have them in the cage just you know talking smack to each other back and forth like they have been doing for literally years every time they get the opportunity so you don't need like somebody to to shove somebody else especially like this is the sport where you really like Oh, I'm supposed to get excited about like somebody trying to reach over and grab somebody when there's a bunch of dudes in suits in the way. This is the sport where you actually get to fight, where you like that is the job is getting in the cage, stripped to the waist, fighting another man. How am I, how excited am I supposed to get about like, you know, this scuffle on TV where clearly there's no risk that anybody is going to be able to hurt anybody else? I mean, it's not like when you actually get into the fight itself. It's hard to get me to believe that that dude is going to want to hurt you any more than he already did with this money and stuff on the line. It seems right. unnecessary. Like, this is a good fight. Like, you don't need to do that stuff. Right. Like, if anything, you kind of just take away, like, some of the genuine, like, enthusiasm for it by making us have to ask these questions. Right. And hey, man, to their credit, the ratings for this show came out right before we went on the air to record this thing. And uh, I don't have them in front of me, but I, if I remember them correctly, which is always an issue, uh, I think they did an, an 880,000 uh, average, which is pretty good for Bellator on Spike and 1.1 million uh, people during that Rampage Jackson fight and and uh, assumedly for the, the scuffle afterwards. So we'll have to see if it pays any uh, dividends for them in, in terms of like picking up uh uh, added audience when this fight we would have to assume is going to show up on Bellator's second run at doing a pay-per-view uh, when we assume that the main event will be the main event they should have gone with the first time, uh, Eddie Alvarez against Michael Chandler and probably King Mo against Rampage Jackson as, as the co-main or somewhere, you know, uh, on the, on the pay card. Well, and if that's the case, then it's, it's so much of a better fight than Rampage versus Tito Ortiz. Well, yeah, for just, sure. Just for sure. Not even close. And now it almost makes you think that, like, hey, you put together one or two more kind of interesting fights there if you're Bellator. 
don't look now. That pay-per-view might have a chance. Yeah, as long as nobody gets hurt or or, or has to retire because of a <clears throat> neck injury or whatever. Gets hit with a ball peen fucking hammer. Uh well, let's you know, let's let's say that this fight does come to fruition between King Mo and, and Rampage Jackson. Uh, how hyped are you for it? Just because I feel like, uh, like I said earlier, Rampage Jackson maybe uh, not giving one hundred and ten percent at this point in his MMA career, and and King Mo obviously is a guy uh, who's always had an incredible. Uh, wrestling base from which to draw on but a guy who's never really uh broken through in in, in mma a guy who's beaten a lot of uh second rate fighters uh but a guy who's been a little up and down in his laugh in his last half dozen fights or so obviously lost to emmanuel newton at bellator uh last year and then got a, a win uh on over the weekend against one of Bellator's nameless Russian fighters and is now staring down the barrel of Rampage Jackson. Like, what do we honestly have to look look for here in this fight? Well, this seems like the kind of fight where it could be the best thing to happen to King Mo at this point in his career. He needs something to kind of get him back on track after those losses to Emmanuel Newton. Uh, and what better way than to go out there, you know, dump Rampage on his head a few times, uh, you know, either win a decision or maybe ground and pound out a victory, uh, only to then have Rampage turn around and complain about how these wrestlers always trying to take him down, don't want to throw them bungalows with him. I mean, I feel like that one just writes itself. Yeah, and it certainly would be a mistake for King Mo to try to throw them bungalows, right? Uh, no reason to. He's still a guy that I'm not sure looks incredibly uh, comfortable on his feet, even even this past weekend uh, in his fight. Obviously, it's a you'd think that he would want to take Rampage Jackson down and 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 test the cardio, test the uh, the preparations, I guess you would say. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I think if he can win, maybe it does uh, springboard King Mo to a little bit higher level uh, of acceptance and acclaim that he had before uh if rampage jackson wins i guess uh he just earned himself a date for the bellator light heavyweight title yeah and you can know who has that you could you could imagine how enthusiastic he'd be about it too right can you just picture him just being you know like you said you just can never tell with this guy like how into this he is uh and you know he'll he'll contradict himself on that stuff constantly. It just seems like at times like he's kind of going through it to get a paycheck, uh, and so then when stuff like this happens, like this rivalry with King Mo, you're like, is this a means to that paycheck, or is this maybe like one of the only fights out there that can get him excited enough to really train hard and show up and make weight and all that stuff? I don't know. I mean, personally, I see Mo coming in there, bunch of takedowns, wins a decision, and then we get to hear the laundry list of injuries that Rampage had coming into it, maybe also food poisoning, um, and then complaining about wrestlers always taking him down. Boom. Done and done. Call it a night. Right. I won't be surprised if Rampage Jackson wins that one, but we'll have to see. Um, well, that's going to do it for round number two, I guess. We will be right back with round number three. Ben, playtime is over on UFC Fight Pass. The UFC's digital network free trial period is over, which means that for everybody who wants to stay on the pipe, you got to start paying the piper. 
wow. at this point. That, that didn't. That, I thought that was going to sound better. That got weird, man. <laughs> when I thought about it, uh, like both sexual and also like kind of like a drug addict thing. Did you think? Do you feel like that was overly sexualized? <laughs> I feel like it might have been a little too erotic. Well, I apologize for that. We do have an explicit rating from iTunes. Uh, so we're, I, we're earning that bad boy. I guess today. I'll make sure and check the suggestive dialogue box. On the, uh... <laughs> Chad Dundas wants to know if you're on the pipe. Well, okay, I know that this is this is probably a big question for you to face because I know that you're you've maintained that you will not get fight pass until they give you something worth paying for on there. Well, my one big picture qualm with UFC fight pass still exists. Um, and hopefully if I can make that case somewhat clearly right now, it'll, it can be the last time. And then we can all sort of move on with no, our that's lives. Not, that's not going to happen. Um, but my chief problem with fight pass is that it doesn't do the one primary thing that I feel like, a digital network targeted at the UFC's most hardcore fans should do, and that's that it doesn't stay, save them any money. Uh, as it stands now, UFC Fight Pass simply asks what you would have to assume is its most loyal customers to pay an additional $120 a year uh, in order to have access to what you might, you have to objectively say is the UFC's lowest tier of of live programming. Um, so in essence, they're they're charging you one hundred and twenty dollars a year for shows that either used to be free or that didn't exist at all because they weren't seen as up to the UFC's quality. Now, I've said all along and I will continue to say it that I feel like Fight Pass is a really good idea and it's probably the future of pay-per-view marketing. Uh, but in its current form as a consumer, I'm really just not that interested in it. Um, I feel like if they could come up with an all inclusive package that got me all of the Fox sports one shows and all of the pay-per-views both live and on demand, uh, I would probably pay like 50 bucks a month for that without batting an eye because I would still save a shitload of money. But as it stands right now, uh, as a consumer, no, I'm not interested in Fight Pass. Has the last weekend of action uh, filled me with a creeping dread and despair that as an MMA journalist, I will eventually have to shell out the money to have Fight Pass? That is also true, unfortunately. <laughs> right, but I mean, obviously, that can't be the UFC's plan for how this thing is going to succeed is, well, the the writers will have to buy it. Like that's not that's not going to be enough. I mean, there's just not enough of us. Uh, it does though seem like okay. Right now, the thing that right that I think is going to break a lot of the the resistance, a lot of the the holdouts like yourself, is this uh, lusty gusty Alexander Gustafson taking on Jimmy Manoa, uh, and that's actually a pretty decent card. You look, you got Michael Johnson and Melvin Guillard on there, um, Gunnar Nelson and uh, Omari Akhmedov, uh, who uh, had a chance to see an action down there at, at Jackson's and looks pretty tough. Uh, you know. That's not a bad card at all, and a lot of people I think are going to want to see that that Gustafson fight and thinking, oh man, well, shit, I give him my credit card once, and then maybe just you know ten bucks a month, and it becomes one of those just recurring charges on my credit card that I don't even think about anymore. I think that's what the UFC is really hoping for, and I think that that's going to happen to some people. But it also then becomes a thing where like, all right, then you're just tricked into basically having another level of pay-per-view added to your to your regular right. budget which is lower than than the other ones right and lower than the ones that you get on Fox Sports 1 ostensibly quote unquote for free even though uh 
I know this is true of me. Maybe it's not true of everybody, but I pay an additional $50 a month just to upgrade my satellite package to one that includes Fox Sports 1. Uh, so for me, the price of being a UFC fan already went way up when they moved off FX and off Spike TV and onto Fox Sports 1. Now we're told that, you know, we have to shell out $120 a year to watch these events uh, that didn't either used to exist or used to, used to be free. And, and frankly, that does bother me. And I don't feel like that should be that controversial. And I don't feel like that should be that absurd. And I suspect if most MMA fans really thought about it, they might agree with me. Because at some point, we have to be like, nah, man, we're not just going to keep paying more and more money for all this additional stuff. Right. Well, and, you know, it's the UFC's kind of thing is like, hey, you know, they can just put UFC on kind of whatever and have it have the same appearance. But it'd be like, yeah, the NFL asking you to pay for NFL Europe games or something. I mean, I think... There's a big difference, I think, though, between this fight card and let's talk about the one this past weekend, early, early Saturday morning in the one true time zone, uh, the Dung Hyun Kim versus John Hathaway uh, event uh, from Macau. Right. Uh, Which, by the way, people that woke up early to watch it, defeating the purpose of Fight Pass, dude. Yeah. If you're paying for Fight Pass, sleep in, watch that shit at like three o'clock in the afternoon. You don't have any other stuff going on. That's basically what I did. Although I also, and I, and I wrote something about this, that, Oh, I read it. Your lifestyle piece about your own lifestyle. That's right. <laughs> it's just snake eating its own tail right there. Jesus. Uh, but, I can only imagine the conversation you had to have with Dan Stupp about that one. <laughs> I don't know, man. Just turn you loose, right? Whatever you want. Maybe fire one up and just uh, see what happens. Fire one up, huh? All right. Well, is there another box you can check for, you know, implied <laughs> drug use on, on the podcast? Uh, you know, and this one, I think, like, it was one of those things where it's, it's going to be different with the London one where the time works out a little differently. I mean, I think that the prelims start here in the one true time zone at like 10.30 a.m. on Saturday. It's just not that bad, you know? Right. You watch it during the, the main event will be early afternoon, early, you know, you, you you get it done, you get the whole rest of the day, you know, you, you got some fights in, it feels like watching some college football or something, you know? That, I think, works out. This stuff where, okay, we go to this market to do the tough China finale, you don't know who the hell most of these people are. A lot of them don't even have Wikipedia pages, not like you watch tough China, come on, get serious. So you don't care about most of that stuff. But then, hey, you hear, oh, there was this awesome spinning back elbow. All right, well, I've already got the fight pass thing, so I can go check it out whenever I want at my leisure. Uh, and that is kind of nice. However, I think it's going to really change the situation for the fighters who fight on these things because it's like, I'm going to look at, like, if, once I hear one spoiler, I might as well look at the results, see what happened, see which fights I think are worth watching. You know, if you're just, you know, the average fan, you see, oh, these two dudes fought to a decision where it's 30 to 27 across the board. If, if nobody's jumping up and down and talking about how awesome that fight was, yeah, I probably won't even waste my time with it. Uh, it's kind of a screw job for the fighters in that sense because you got to really do something awesome to get people talking about you in the first place to get people who didn't want sit there and watch it live and who the hell is getting up at 4 a.m. to watch that shit. Dana White, apparently, <laughs> right? But he doesn't even go to sleep, man. He goes straight from the blackjack table, brings his garbage bag of money, and then sits down in front of Fight Pass. That's one of the it. things that kills me about this Fight Pass promotional effort is it's so transparent. Like Dana White is up at like five o'clock in the morning in Las Vegas to be like, oh, I'm totally fired up about Fight Pass, you guys. We're going to jump on here and watch the tough China finale. Who's excited about it? Just like, come the fuck on, dude. Come on. Well, and I mean, if you're one of the guys on Fight Pass, like you've got to know that then it's like the UFC has kind of branded you as like on a certain tier uh, as a fighter at that point. Uh, and I can imagine how a lot of dudes are not going to be 
terribly happy about well, that. Well, Lusty Gusty, for God's sakes, doesn't do anything. The guy deserves a little bit better than to be, essentially be fight passes Trojan horse, like the and, dude that they're trying to get everyone to come into the courtyard to look at and pay their nine ninety nine. Like this guy just fought for the title in his last fight, man. Now he's having a fight that, as long as he doesn't lose, like it essentially doesn't exist, right? Because <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, he'll just go over and do whatever he does to Jimmy Manoa, and like very few people are going to watch it. And then we're led to believe, at least, that he'll just slide right back into a rematch with John Jones. It'll be almost like he didn't even have a fight in between. Well, better, I guess, to be the Trojan horse for Fight Pass than to be on the prelims of the Trojan <laughs> horse for Fight Pass, right? Yeah, like, those guys are probably just getting paid in UFC merch. It's like, yeah, take a box of shirts home, man. What's what's your size? Oh, we don't have medium. How about large? <laughs> Somebody already ripped the sleeves off this one, but you were probably going to do that anyway, right? Yeah, you know, and... For a lot of these guys, I guess it's it's this thing like a guy like take a guy like Gunnar Nelson, right? Who people were kind of getting excited about and everything, and now he's on the the undercard of this the the lusty gusty headlined fight pass event from London. Uh, you know, good for a local crowd. He's a little bit more like in his area over there. I'm sure you know a lot of the fans are, are more excited about seeing him over there than you know some American fans who might not know who he is yet. But how are they supposed to get to know who he is? Right. It, it seems like this thing where the UFC is. You, and you're in a tough spot there if you're the UFC because you're trying to load up these cards with enough stuff that makes it worth watching. But then if you do that too much and people aren't really getting on board with it, then when you try and get people to pay attention to these dudes on pay-per-view or tune into Fox Sports to see them – they they don't know. They don't know what they've been up to. It's right. like those guys have just kind of vanished for a little while. And it, yeah, frankly, it puts everybody in a tough spot, uh, the UFC and the fighters and the fans. And, and that's why I feel like maybe the best thing that could happen to fight paths is, is if the uh, WWE network, uh, you know, version of the digital network succeeds and fight pass struggles a little bit, because then uh, I think you're going to see the UFC have to make changes to the product that it offers. And frankly, how ironic that, the WWE, a, co- a company that is uh, damn near notorious for having no idea what its fans want, like offers this awesome uh, uh, digital network package that includes all of its pay-per-views and its entire library and stuff like that. And this other company, the UFC, which has sort of made its bones, frankly, being in tune with its hardcore fan base, offers this somewhat lesser version of the same thing that like doesn't really have an enticing uh, offer to get people to sign up for it. So, I mean, like, uh, I, I hope that the WWE network is, is super successful and that at some point the UFC figures out a way to, uh, to make this thing financially appealing to fans. Yeah, you know, and you, you make a good point there that, like, if it were more of a package kind of thing that, yeah, you, you, if it were like, hey, you're kind of joining a club. And this is one of the things I think that maybe that's what they think that they're doing with Fight Pass as it is. Like, well, hey, you get the live events that you may or may not give a shit about or be willing to wake up to see live. Um, but then you also get like access to the library, even if it's not, you know, exactly complete. I did notice that in the most recent Fight Pass commercials that they're putting on TV, also ironic, by the way, Fight Pass commercials <laughs> on TV, uh, uh, that they're not saying complete library anymore on the, on the latest commercials. Maybe I could be reading too much into this, but they're merely saying the most extensive fight library like online. Okay. So, and so I don't even know if they're even promising the full library anymore. Well, at least that's more honest. You know, I think that too though when I'm sitting there watching the the fight pass thing, you know, going back after long after the fact and watching some of these fights, like it is not a bad way to watch the fights, uh especially if 
you tell yourself like, okay, well, these are the, this is the lowest tier possible of, of UFC events. Like then, you know, it's not bad. Hey, we'll check it out. We'll see if there's anything there worth watching. Uh, I just don't know if that's what you really want fans to be thinking if you're the UFC. It also puts you like in a position where when I'm watching those fights after I kind of already know the results and after I know what's up, I'm a lot harder to impress because if I'm watching it live and somebody pulls off a crazy spinning back elbow, holy shit, I'm jumping out of my chair and grabbing onto my head like I'm Joe Silva, right? But once I already know, hey, this guy pulled off this crazy spinning back elbow, then I'm like, okay, let's get to the point where the elbow happens. Yep, there it is. That was pretty awesome. Okay. Like, I'm just, you know, and it's like, okay, this was the fight of the night. All right, I'll watch it. Uh, You know, I don't know. that You're telling me that's the best fight that that's on this card? Okay, well, I guess that sets my expectations for the rest of the fights. Like, it, it does create a different kind of viewing experience and I don't necessarily know if that's going to be a good thing for the UFC yeah I'll just watch the GIFs let's do uh, yeah the GIFs let's do uh, just saying stuff and then then we'll we'll get out of here for this week Ben what's your just saying stuff you go you you go first I want to hear yours first you want to hear mine first? Yes. Well, this week, Ben, I'm just saying that if I'm Vitor Belfort and I passed a random drug test in Nevada on the very same day that the Nevada State Athletic Commission bans TRT, you wouldn't be able to get me to shut the fuck up about it, man. <laughs> I would be on the MMA fortnight the next day with my official paperwork, shoving it in the camera, pointing at it, screaming about how could you outlaw this when you just proved that I'm not using it to cheat. I'd be going on MMA junkie radio and yelling at gorgeous george about it that's that's the host right yeah my junkie radio i'd be sending unanswered emails to the co-main event podcast trying to get my <laughs> ass on this show man instead he's just sitting around saying nothing i'm just saying just saying well chad my just saying stuff actually is kind of an offshoot of one of your earlier just saying stuffs i'm not surprised I don't know if you saw, now there is a video out of Anderson Silva doing oh, jujitsu. Oh, God. You knew it was going to happen, walking downstairs, hitting pads. Now he's getting his, his ground game on. I'm just saying, clearly, the answer to your question of if we're going to turn Anderson Silva's recovery into a long episode of Finding Bigfoot is a resounding, hell yes, we are. I'm just saying. Just saying. Well, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We'll be back next week to break down all the happenings at this uh, weird fight pass card. Uh, as for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. Let me tell you something, motherfucker. If you think you're coming over to my house to watch my fight pass this weekend, you better think again. Uh, I thought we were going to break out the HDMI cables and get that fired up on the tube. Oh, is that what on you the thought? television. Is that what you yeah, thought? on demand. No. You know what? Here's what I'll do for you. And this is only because you're a friend. I will G-chat you with various thoughts, ruminations, off